turn, uh, turn in your Bibles to Genesis 2. Genesis 2, and then we'll also look at the back of our hymnals to page 934 as we are turning on to a new chapter on marriage. Let's first read God's holy word, uh, Genesis uh, chapter 2, starting in verse 18. This is God's holy and infallible word, Genesis 2, 18. Then the Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Out of the ground the Lord God formed every beast of the field and every bird of the sky and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called a living creature, that was its name. The man gave names to all the cattle, to the birds of the sky, and to every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper suitable for him. So the Lord God caused a deep sleep to fall upon the man, and he slept. And then he took one of his ribs and closed up the flesh at that place. The Lord God fashioned into a woman the rib which had been taken from the man and brought her to the man. The man said, This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. For this reason a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. And the man and his wife were both naked and were not ashamed. And then the Confession of Faith, at page 934, we'll read together chapter 24, sections 1 and 2. Marriage is to be between one man and one woman. Neither is it lawful for any man to have more than one wife, nor for any woman to have more than one husband at the same time. Marriage was ordained for the mutual help of husband and wife, for the increase of mankind with legitimate issue, and of the church with an holy seed, and for preventing of uncleanness. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would bless this, your word. Help us to understand the beauties and the wonders of Christian marriage. We thank you, Lord, that you have um, cared for mankind in giving us this holy institution, this basic root of the family, going back all the way to the, to the very beginning of creation. And Lord, we pray that you would help us to understand what is lawful marriage and what is the purpose of this wonderful covenant bond. We ask all these things in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. I'd like to open up this evening with a few questions. What is marriage? Um, where did it come from? What is the purpose or the pur- what are some of the purposes of marriage? And who should get married in the first place? Um, If we ask these questions nowadays, compared to what might have been asked, um, or (laughs) the answers to these questions nowadays would be very different than what it was 200 years ago in America. Isn't it? 
A great, a great deal of these questions, you could say, in American culture, are they're up for grabs. In other words, what is marriage? Well, we can't define marriage anymore. We can't even define what a woman is anymore in America, can you? Almost anything goes now. However, because of unregenerate uh, men and women, uh, because they're pleased with themselves, with their distorted definition of what marriage is, and supposedly enjoying uh, what they're doing in their um, marriages that are not in accordance with God's word, um, just because they're pleased with themselves, it doesn't mean that God's pleased with them. We think of the book of Judges. God condemned people for doing what was right in their own eyes. It didn't go well for them. Every man did what was right in their own eyes. In, their, in other words, let's, let's just come up with this and just fly by the seat of our pants and do what we think is right. Let two guys get married together and see how God is pleased with it. To define marriage... Um, we need to look at God's word. To see who instituted marriage, we have to go back to the dawn of mankind, back to the very book of uh, Genesis and Holy Scripture. Um, interestingly, I'm going to flip this because the confession, sections 1 and 2, section 1 here defines what is a lawful marriage. Section 2 gives us the purpose, why God gave marriage in the first place. But as we look at Genesis, God gives us the purpose first before he even creates the woman. That's why I, I'm going to choose to kind of flip it around. I'm going to follow the lead of Scripture here. And Genesis 2.18 begins by telling us the purpose of marriage. It says in Genesis 2.18, The Lord God said, It is not good for the man to be alone. I will make him a helper suitable for him. Now, contrary to what some might think, this is not one purpose, but two. Because it's not good for him to be alone, God made a wife for companionship. He needed a companion. It wasn't good for him to be alone. He saw the interaction and the companionship between male and female animals, and he knew that something was missing. But then God made the woman. But also, it's to be a suitable help, or you could say a complementary help for him. The creation mandate found in Genesis 1, 28, was given unto mankind. You could turn, you could turn back there. Let's look at Genesis 1, 28. This is after God created man and woman. God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and rule over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the sky and over every living thing that moves on the earth. Then God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the surface of all the earth and every tree which has fruit yielding seed. It shall be food for you. This is... The creation mandate here. Um, Genesis 9, 7. Uh, you don't have to turn there because I have it printed in your outline if you have an outline. Genesis 9, 7 repeats the same creation mandate. You can call it a mandate, an order, a charge of God and that he gave Noah and his family after they left the ark. Genesis 9, 7. 
As for you, be fruitful and multiply. Populate the earth abundantly and multiply in it. Now, how is this possible unless God has the help of woman? Um, man needs help from the wife to be able to be fruitful and multiply and, and fill the earth. It's rather impossible without a, a, a woman in the picture there, isn't it? And you could say that's one of the ways that it's contrary to the ordained order of things to have homosexual marriage. How are you going to fulfill that mandate to be fruitful and multiply when you have a man and a man and a, or a woman and a woman in marriage? Man needs help also, you could say, to help from the wife to subdue the creation. Men and women have different roles or different talents and skills in subduing the creation. Men sometimes are more builders and women or have abilities that are more caregiving or women have abilities that allow for the creation of other things that are used uh, for the purpose of uh, mankind. But at the same time, we can't be so strict and say, oh, it's, it's only for women to make clothes. Well, throughout history, we've had men who are talented, what they call tailors. They were able to make suits and dresses of that sort. It's not something that is, the scripture doesn't say one way or the other which skills have to be by a man or a woman. Women could build buildings too if they, if they have that skill and that desire and that training. Um, chapter uh, 24, section 2, focuses on the purpose of marriage. Um, it says marriage was ordained for the mutual help of husband and wife for the increase of mankind with legitimate issue and of the church with an holy seed and for preventing uncleanness. Let's look at this in, in different sections. The first one, and I agree with this, the scripture says that the woman was created as a helper for man. But the confession of faith says that marriage is for the mutual help, not just for the husband, but the mutual help of husband and wife. Now, it's hard enough for an individual single person to make a living, especially in a down economy. Um, however, to be a single parent is rather gruesome, if not almost impossible nowadays, to do it, to do it without some sort of help. Uh, if men... If a, if a man wants to have kids and to raise children, it's almost impossible to do a job and to raise a kid at the same time. It's almost impossible for a woman to raise kid, a kid and have a job at the same time. Um, the old classic way you, uh, we used to look at it is that the man would be the breadwinner and provide for the family so that the woman could, could take care of, of the children. Um, in South Louisiana, we eat so much rice. I don't know why they didn't call it the rice winner in South Louisiana. A man should be the rice winner so we could, our wives can go and, and go to work or can take care of the kids, I mean. <laughs> um, marriage was ordained, it says, for the increase of mankind with legitimate issue. Now, this is actually something that's still used in legal terms for a will. And I, I wasn't familiar with this, but the issue refers to descendants that come from one's own body. According to Black's Law Dictionary, issue is a narrower term than an heir. 
An heir doesn't have to be an, one who comes from one's own body. An heir could be a spouse, can be nephews, nieces, aunts, cousins. It could be other folks. It can even be somebody you're not related to. But the one who is the issue is one who comes forth from your body. Um, the Bible frowns upon illegitimate issue. Marriage has been enacted or been ordained by God for the preventing of an illegitimate issue by giving, you could say, the, the legitimate issue. Let's see how the Bible frowns upon illegitimate issue, you could say. Hebrews um, 12. Hebrews 12. 4 through 11. Hebrews 12, 4 through 11. You have not yet resisted to the point of shedding blood in your striving against sin, and you have forgotten the exhortation which is addressed to you as sons. My son, do not regard lightly the discipline of the Lord, nor faint when you are reproved, that means corrected by him. For those whom the Lord loves, he disciplines, and he scourges every son whom he receives. It is for discipline that you endure. God deals with you as with, with sons. For what son is there whom his father does not discipline? But, here's the key word here, the key part. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. See here, that's considered an argument of if God doesn't discipline you, you're like a kid born out of wedlock. You're illegitimate. You don't want to be that, do you? Well then, accept the discipline of the Lord. That's the argument here. Um, if you go... I hate to use this word, but if you go to the, uh, the, the King James Version, it reads like this. But if you are without discipline, of which all have become partakers, you are, he says, basically bastards. And that's not a compliment. It's, uh, it's rather an insult, isn't it? So let's look next at the um, purpose God instituted marriage to provide the church with an holy seed. Uh, I have two passages listed here. Uh, the first is Genesis 17. Um, God told Abram that I will establish my covenant, um, as Abraham at this point, I will establish my covenant between me and you and your descendants after you throughout their generations. So God here is promising to be a God unto Abraham and to his children or his seed after them. Acts chapter 2, 38 and 39 picks up this same promise and it says when uh, the Jews were cut to the heart because they knew that they had killed the Lord of glory and crucified him who was the God-man Jesus Christ, Peter preached and said this, Repent, each of you, and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. 
The promise is to you and to your children. So when Christians raise children, they are raising children of promise. Which means you can't just put them on the earth. You have to do things like mentioned uh, in, in Deuteronomy 6. You, you, tr- you train up your children. You talk about the things of the Lord. You speak the word of the Lord and you teach them the history of, of what God has done in redemption and what his holy word says. You don't just bring them into the earth. You, you teach them the word of God. So children of promise is another way of talking about the church having a holy seed. Another reason for marriage is for preventing uncleanness. And there's two ways of having uncleanness. Um, the two words there are fornication, which is an unmarried person perhaps having sexuality with another unmarried person. Or adultery, where one of the two parties is already married to another person, that would be considered adultery. Or it's perhaps two persons who are both married, but not having relations with their spouse, but with others. Both sins, both fornication and adultery, are considered wicked uncleanness. If not repented of, it will exclude you from heaven, according to 1 Corinthians 6, 9-10. through Or do you not know that the righteous will not inherit the kingdom of God? Do not be deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards, nor revilers, nor swindlers will inherit the kingdom of God. I'm not sure if you're aware of this, but a lot of evangelical churches have problems with people who are living under the same roof but not married wanting to be a part of the church. And what's, what's very interesting is that they can go to such churches for quite some time and not have anyone confront them about it. Because really, people would say, well, what, what's most important is that they, they receive the gospel and they believe the gospel. But you could be a part of the church even though you're, you're not married and you're living together. Yikes. Well, what about 1 Corinthians 6, 9 and following? Um, I think it's when Jesus says, receive the gospel, he also says, repent. When John the Baptist preached, he said, repent. We can't just believe the gospel and live any way we want. God will not accept us into his kingdom if we're not living in a way that's pleasing in his sight. Does this mean that we're perfect? No. But it means that you have to at least repent of sin. You have to endeavor to put sin aside. Repenting is like turning around. You turn away from sin. You turn the other direction and turn unto God. And that is what he wants for the Christian. Now again, the reason I discussed the purposes of marriage here is because that's what the Bible does. It it mentions the purpose of why God created marriage in the first place before even creating Eve. Now, we're going to go back and look at section 1, which gives us a definition of what lawful marriage in God's sight is. Marriage is between one man and one woman. Now, Just because the United States of America or any other governing authority 
says that it's okay to have marriage between a man and a man and a woman and a woman, it doesn't mean that it's right in God's eyes. If someone gets married and they're married to another person of the same sex, they might have legal privileges. They might have um, those in the society that nowadays, because of the uh, propaganda of this this, uh, homosexual rights machine, they might have the privileges and the rights and they, they even have the esteem of society. Aren't, aren't you to be respected? Look at you. You're standing up for yourself and you're, you're doing what you feel is right. You know, a little pat on the shoulder. But in the end, they die and go to a place of eternal torment. It's not right in God's sight. Just because the laws of the land say it is, it is not right in God's sight if they turn if they do not turn away from this twisted wicked vision of marriage they will not enjoy the privileges of eternal life now i know this was in, this was in the news a while back when the supreme court made its decision to allow this but there were christian officials who would be in charge of doing um you know maybe at the city hall on a local level of uh, of presiding over a marriage but when this happened, gay people came to them, maybe perhaps even knowing that these were Christians, and says, we want you to marry us. What would you do in such a situation? Well, some people had to lose their jobs. They, they had to step down from those positions because they couldn't, in right conscience, be over a gay marriage. Because there would be, it would be an act of condoning something that, that was against their um, convictions, and I agree with that. I could, if I was a, if I was a local official, and that was my job, and someone said we want you to marry us, and they're two women or two men, I, I couldn't. There's no way I would do that. Um, it would just not happen. Section two, it goes on to define lawful marriage. Again, it says neither is it lawful marriage. Um, neither is it lawful for any man to have more than one wife, nor for any woman to have more than one husband at the same time. Now, I'm going to throw, I'm gonna throw a, a, a wrench in this. What if someone comes and says, well, look at some of the saints of old. Jacob had more than one wife. David and Solomon, they had many wives. David was a man after God's own heart. How is it possible that these saints of old could have practiced polygamy? And why can't we? I think a key verse, and I know this is um, taking my understanding on this regard, uh, is by looking at one issue and then flowing from it toward another. A key verse is uh, Mark 10, 4. Again, it's there in your outline. Moses was permitted... Uh, he permitted a man to write a certificate of divorce and to send his wife away. Jesus gives a commentary on why that happened. Jesus said to them, it was because of the hardness of your heart he wrote you this commandment. There was a time in history of the covenant people of God where God allowed divorce to maybe, you could say to an excessive degree, and what's the reason? Jesus said it's because of the hardness of their hearts that God allowed it. 
In the same fashion, during the beginning of, uh, you could say, the earlier parts of redemptive history, because of the hardness of men's hearts, God allowed certain things in times past, such as uh, polygamy, especially for the kings of Israel. But as redemptive history has progressed, God is, at this point, giving us the full interpretation of the spirit of the law, which is God from the beginning said a man shall leave his family and be joined to his wife, singular, not wives, plural. Um, another argument for this, if you're going to have the office of an elder, you have to have a man of no more than one wife. Again, that's found in Titus 1, 1 Timothy 3. Both cases, a man of God who you would want to lead a church has to be a man of no more than one wife. The argument could be that what a holy, godly man should be is, is what the qualifications of elder are. And if God expects that of an elder, why would he not expect that of every godly person? Um, the qualifications for elder is a model for what every good Christian godly man should pursue. The, I would believe um, one place that I think is a good clincher for this is Romans 7. Now, you could the argument regarding elders is an indirect argument. This is rather plain. Now, it's going to talk about wives, but you need to flip this verse and, can, and maybe read it in perspective of if instead of wife, what if it's a husband being talked about here? All right. Uh, Hebrews 7, let's start at verse 1. Or do you not know, brethren, for I am speaking to those who know the law, that the law has jurisdiction over a person as long as he lives? For the married woman is bound by law to her husband while he is living. But if he dies, she is released from the law concerning the husband. So then, if while her husband is living, she is joined to another man, she shall be called an adulteress. But if her husband dies, she is free from the law, so that it is not, she is not an adulteress, though she is joined to another man. All right, let me read it this way. If God's law concerning adultery here, which should apply to both men and women equally, let me read it this way. For the married man is bound by law to his wife while she is living. But if his wife dies, then, she is, then he is released from the law concerning the wife. So then, if while his wife is living, she is joined, or he is joined to another woman, he shall be called an adulterer. That is a fair understanding and rendering of this passage. Don't you think that this, how does this passage in any way, shape, or form allow for polygamy? This passage does not. So uh, if you ever want, if you ever talk to somebody and they say, well, does God really forbid for polygamy? Because I, I can't find that in the New Testament. The, a good place, a really good place is found in Romans 7, 1 through 3. 
Why does God give us this blessed institution of marriage? It's not mentioned here in these first two sections, but one of the reasons one of the reasons is because it's a picture between Christ and the church. It's a beautiful picture. Marriage is something beautiful and glorious in God's sight, and the love Christ has for us is like a husband who loves his wife, and he loves his church so much that he gave his life for the church. And that picture is that wonderful picture of Christ and the church. So they could say that is one of the most beautiful and theological reasons of why God instituted or gave forth or ordained this beautiful institution of marriage. Let's pray together. We thank you, our beloved Father, that you have given us marriage for our help, not just the help of a husband, but for the mutual help of husband and wife. And we thank you that you have blessed and kept us, and we do thank you for those of us who are married, and Lord, we thank you for the wives that you have given us. We thank you for the husbands that you have given us. And we pray, Lord, that you would bless our marriages. Help us, we pray, to give forth a picture of the love of Christ for the church and imitating that glorious, uh, wonderful theological relationship. <coughs> Lord, give us peace and in our nation. We pray that you would help uh, the public and society to be able to, uh, to look at your holy word for the authority of what is a marriage, what is a lawful marriage. And Lord, we do pray that even the, some, even perhaps, who have already married in unlawful marriages, we pray that you would, Lord, wake them up uh, to their sin. Lord, allow them to flee uh, these things. And Lord, turn their eyes unto Jesus Christ. Give them repentance and faith in Christ. And Lord, we pray, bring them into the fold. For we ask all these things in the blessed name of Jesus our Lord. Amen. Uh, let's uh, let's turn our closing hymn to 128a. How blessed are all who fear the Lord. Let's stand and sing 128a.